0: you would, you can turn with me in your copy of God's Word to Matthew chapter 5 and also bookmark Luke 10. Matthew 5 is where we'll begin, and then we'll also go to Luke 10. Today we're moving on to the next of the Beatitudes, these characteristics that mark the disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, and today we are considering Blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. Let's ask the Lord to bless this reading of his word. Heavenly Father, it's my plea that by your spirit you would bring light and illumination to our minds through this reading and preaching of your word. Father, would we be merciful as you are merciful? And would, would we have a clear, full picture, and would we be empowered by your spirit, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Matthew chapter 5, I'm going to read verses 1 through 12. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Well, I've got a lot to say, so I'm not going to beat around the bush. We'll jump straight into the meaning of mercy. And this might surprise you. It's not something I was really expecting. But the basic idea is this. Mercy is providing relief to those who are in misery. It is providing relief to those who are in misery. And I'm going I'm to take a bunch of time to defend that. I want to start with this example I found in my reading. Uh, there's a story about a 19th century English pastor. And he happened upon a crowd. Apparently a villager's horse had been killed in an accident. And the owner of the horse is standing there. Shocked and grieved by this loss. He he doesn't know what he's going to do now. This horse had a huge impact on his ability to work and earn an income. So he doesn't know what he's going to do. And he's surrounded by all these people who are saying lots of nice things and telling him how sorry they are for his loss. And the pastor hearing their words and seeing the man stepped up to him handed him some cash and said, I am sorry, five pounds. How much are you? And the crowd, in response, passed around a hat and collected donations for the man. That's a picture of mercy. Help to the wretched. Relief to the miserable. The Puritan Thomas Watson defined mercy in this way. He says, mercy is a melting disposition whereby we lay to heart the miseries of others and are ready on all occasions to be instrumental for their good. There you go. A softening of the heart. You can call it pity. You can call it compassion. I I love how he said, we lay to heart the miseries of others. And then it is followed by action. It's followed by doing something. We act for their good. We care for those mired in misery. And I'm going to show you the textbook example of this in, in a moment. But really quickly, before we do that, um, I want to consider the, maybe the differences between mercy and grace and between mercy and love. If I asked you to tell me the difference between mercy and grace, what would you say? I've heard before, it's kind of a catchy, easy way to remember this. I've heard that grace is getting something you don't deserve and mercy is not getting what you do deserve. And maybe that's true. Maybe... It's a little simplistic, and I say that because from all my study this past week, it has become clear to me that mercy has a laser focus on misery, particularly bringing relief to misery. If you want to know the difference between mercy and grace, I think it's safe to say this. Grace is goodness. It is favor shown to the undeserving. And mercy is compassion shown to those who are miserable. So grace is goodness shown to the undeserving and mercy is compassion shown to those who are miserable. Grace focuses on sin in general. Mercy focuses on the effects of sin. The misery of sin. Well, what about between mercy and love? What are the differences between mercy and love? Uh, Thomas Watson described them as two separate streams running in the same direction. And again, the difference is going to be associated with misery. Love is a friend who comes and visits you when all is well and you're healthy. Mercy is like a physician who comes to visit you when you are sick. Love gives its heart to another. Mercy lends help to another. You can see the difference. That encompassed under the heading of mercy is pity and compassion for those who are in miserable situations. And then acting to relieve, to provide some relief to that suffering. Here's your uh, your math formula for this. Internal pity plus external action equals biblical mercy. Now, I promised you the textbook case on mercy, and it's one that most of you will know. You can turn to Luke 10. I'm going to read verses 25 through 37. Again, I'm trusting that most of you have heard this story a thousand times already. It'll be quite familiar to you. Starting in verse 25. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, And whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He, the lawyer, said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. So what then does mercy look like? The parable of the Good Samaritan. A man finds himself in a miserable situation, robbed, beaten, left for dead. And what responses do we see? Unlike the English pastor who offered some cash to the man who lost his horse, these two important religious figures, the priest and the Levite, see the man laying there, one of their own countrymen, and they cross to the other side of the road and keep going. It would be like me being out on a morning run and seeing roadkill ahead of me and moving to the other side of the road to not go near it. That's what they do. But, we're told, a Samaritan... An individual from a particular breed of people that the Jews despised, he had compassion. He did not pass by, but went to him, bound his wounds, set him on his, I'm going to assume a donkey, and walked him to an inn, and then paid the innkeeper to compensate for this man's care Lodging and food. That's what we've been talking about. Mercy. Providing relief to those who are in misery. Laying to heart the miseries of others. Being an instrument for their good. This is what it means to be merciful. And by the way, Jesus confirms this at the end. He says, who proved to be the neighbor? The lawyer said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, go and do likewise. So that's your textbook example. But before we go further, I think I need to say that being merciful isn't limited to helping someone who's injured on the side of the road. It also includes something which for most of us, is much more difficult being merciful i'm still working with that same definition pity for one in misery and then acting being merciful also includes forgiving someone who has wronged you we are not allowed to hold on to grudges as if they are our treasured possessions we are not allowed to nourish animosity towards one another. We cannot withhold forgiveness from relatives or co-workers or whoever. And maybe this forgiveness doesn't come instantly. Maybe you have to have some time to get over the shock and absorb and process and pray about what has happened. But you cannot retain that you can't retain that wrong forever now I want to say that it might be wholly appropriate at times to contact authorities if someone has wronged you or sinned against you in a particularly grievous way maybe you contact authorities God has appointed the government as the sword to punish the wrongdoer Maybe that's appropriate in some instances. But them facing the consequences of their sins does not mean you cannot forgive them. By God's grace, forgiveness is always possible. Near the end of the book of Genesis, we see Joseph show mercy to his brothers. Uh, They sinned terribly against Joseph. And then when they're completely helpless... And totally at his mercy, Joseph felt pity for them, wept for them, had compassion, and took action, giving them food, and ultimately bringing them and all of their families to come and live with him in Egypt. Joseph displayed mercy. So did Stephen at the end of Acts 7. Stephen is being persecuted for the sake of Christ. Christ. And amid the tumult of the crowd screaming curses at him and hurling stones at his defenseless body, Stephen cries out, what? Lord, do not hold this sin against them. That is a picture of mercy. And hopefully that picture reminds you of another. You know, I've mentioned what I call the textbook example, but who perfectly personified that example. Who in history has displayed both perfect love of God and perfect love of neighbor? Only the Lord Jesus. Only him. And he too, at the moment of his death, cried out, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. There is no greater example of one who felt compassion for a poor, miserable lot, and then acted. He left his father's throne above. He emptied himself. He forsook the rights and privileges that were rightly his. He came and dwelt among his people, and they despised and rejected and sinned against and denied and killed him. But just as in Joseph's case, what they meant for evil, God meant for good. Because there on the cross, sin was forgiven. It was paid in full. The greatest source of our misery was defeated. And the good news that we celebrate today, some 2,000 years later, is that anyone who will look to him and receive him And rest upon him alone for salvation. Anyone who will do that, this work of mercy will be applied to you. You will have your sin removed and be clothed in his righteousness. You remember the words that Zachariah says in Luke's gospel. Zachariah is the father of John the Baptist. And there at the In Luke chapter 1, John the Baptist has been born and Zechariah is speaking about his newborn son. And he says, and you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God. Whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness, in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. In Christ Jesus, we see the tender mercy of our God. He pitied our miserable estate and brought relief. So that's mercy. Mercy. What about the second half? Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Well, there's a common mistake we can easily fall into. And it is to believe that what saves me is my being merciful to others. Okay? If I... It's some... Just pragmatic equation in our mind. If I am merciful to others, then God will be merciful to me. That's what we think. Even when we say the Lord's Prayer, I hope we aren't tempted to think that. He will not hold my debts against me because I am not holding my debts against those who have sinned against me. You know, that's that's the confusion. And it perfectly aligns with all man-made religions. I do this, and God shows me favor. But it couldn't be more opposed to the gospel of Jesus Christ. I would say this first off. If you're banking on God forgiving you because you've forgiven others or God being merciful to you because... You have been merciful to others. If that is your basis, I would just say, good luck. And I would say, how, how are you doing at being a good Samaritan? We just, we just read that, and maybe you've stopped and helped someone change their tire on the side of the road. How, how are you doing at, at this? Have you been a good Samaritan every day? Have you... Lived it perfectly? Have you loved your neighbor as yourself? Uh, Could you stand before God and say, I have forgiven every single person who has ever sinned against me? I, I will speak for myself and say that if God's mercy to me is based on me acing this, then I'm in deep trouble. Uh, that's the first thing. Second, is that if you believe that God is merciful to you just because you are merciful to others, then you have to do something with the rest of Scripture. You have to do something with passages like, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. That's both in Romans 5 and then in Second Corinthians 5. In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. What do you do with those if it's just the simple equation where your mercy earns his favor? You've got to throw those passages away. And again, I would remind you, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, let Scripture interpret Scripture. So how are we to understand this? The merciful shall receive mercy. It is simply this. Those who have experienced the mercy of God will show mercy to others. Showing mercy is an evidence that you have been shown mercy. Because God forgave you, you will forgive others. And because he has forgiven you, you ultimately will be forgiven. Martin Lloyd-Jones talks about this. I've got an extended quote from him that I thought was quite helpful. He says this, A Christian is something before he does anything. And we have to be Christian before we can act as Christians. So often, people think that what the New Testament exhorts us to do is to try to be Christian in this and that respect and to try to live as a Christian here and there. Not at all. We are Christians, and our actions are the outcome of that. It is a fallacy to say, for example, to be truly Christian, I must take up and use Christian teaching and then apply it. That is not the way our Lord puts it. The position, rather, is that my Christianity controls me. I am to be dominated by the truth because I have been made a Christian by the operation of the Spirit. He is in control, not I. So that I must not think of myself as a natural man who is controlling his attitude. No, his Spirit controls me at the very center of my life. That's why we forgive, because of who we are. That's why we are merciful to others, because at the core of our being, we've been changed. We've been born again. We've been raised to new life. As, as Paul said, it is not I, but Christ in me. We show mercy to others because we have received that mercy from our God already. And This is what controls us and motivates us. There's another reason we're merciful towards others and it's because we understand the previous Beatitudes. Think of everything we've been talking about over the past month. I am poor in spirit. I'm a spiritual beggar. Therefore, I'm going to show mercy to other spiritual beggars. I I mourn because of my sin within me. I see this in myself so that my only trust is in the Lord. He is my refuge. This causes me to hunger and thirst for righteousness, to long to be like Christ and to be rid of my sin. And to my everlasting wonder, he showed me mercy. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be satisfied. He has satisfied satisfied my needs. That's why I show mercy. Having experienced all those other beatitudes, how in the world could I not show mercy to another? You can see them building upon one another. That's why we're merciful. We remember who we are and we remember how God Almighty has been merciful to us. I want to end with a warning and a promise. Uh, The warning comes from Psalm 109. I'm going to read verses 6 Through 17. Psalm 109. Appoint a wicked man against him. Let an accuser stand at his right hand. When he is tried, let him come forth guilty. Let his prayer be counted as sin. May his days be few. May another take his office. May his children be fatherless and his wife a widow. May his children wander about and beg, seeking food far from the ruins they inhabit. May the creditor seize all that he has. May strangers plunder the fruits of his toil. Let there be none to extend kindness to him, nor any to pity his fatherless children. May his posterity be cut off. May his name be blotted out in the second generation. May the iniquity of his fathers be remembered before the Lord. And let not the sin of his mother be blotted out. Let them be before the Lord continually that he may be cut off. That he may cut off the memory of them from the earth. Why? Why? Who is the psalmist talking about? Why would such curses be named against this person? Verse 16 For he did not remember to show kindness, but pursued the poor and needy and the brokenhearted and put them to death. He loved to curse. Let curses come upon him. He did not delight in blessing. May it be far from him. He clothed himself with cursing as a coat. May it soak into his body like water, like oil into his bones. Here's a man who did not show mercy but rather pursued those in misery, the poor, the needy, the brokenhearted, and instead of doing them good, he did them violence. The psalmist is saying, Lord, may the actions he did to others be done to him. Vindicate your people and give your enemies what they deserve. Do justice to the one who has harmed and exploited the vulnerable. Repay the one who did not show mercy. There is a warning here. It is the opposite of what we find in the Beatitudes. Those who do not show mercy will not receive mercy. The reason... Hopefully, you remember from what we just talked about, is the reason they are not showing mercy is because they do not know the Lord. James says something similar. Uh, James 2.13, he says, Judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. There's a warning for us here. A warning in that the character of the disciple of the Lord Jesus is one that shows mercy. There's also a promise of blessing. There's a warning and a blessing. And the blessing is both in this life and in the life to come. In this life, the Lord gives manifold blessings to those who show this mercy to their neighbor. I've just got a rapid fire of text. I'm going to sound off. Blessed is the one who considers the poor. For the righteous will never be removed. He will be remembered forever. He shall abound in all things. You can see the difference here between Psalm 109 and these. His children become a blessing. The Lord protects him and keeps him alive. He is called blessed in the land. I know we may be scared to talk about blessings in this life for fear that we might sound like some prosperity gospel preacher. But there are blessings promised to God's people in this life. This beatitude begins with the word blessed. Blessed are the merciful. But there's also a promise of blessing in the life to come. And Paul makes a comment in, just a passing comment in 2 Timothy 1. He mentions a brother um, by the name of Onesiphorus. This brother had compassion on Paul when he was in prison. And Paul said, He often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. And because of this, Paul says, May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. What is that day? It's the last day. The day of the Lord. The day when everyone will stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account for the deeds done in the body. And on that day, we will need mercy. This is the great promise. If we have become a new creation in Christ, if we have known his mercy here and now, and we in turn show that mercy to others, on the last day, when we need it most, we shall receive mercy. That's the great promise the Lord Jesus gives to us in this Beatitude. And before we go to the table to eat and drink of this mercy of our Lord, I want to end with uh, one last thought from Thomas Watson. He says, Is there anything then lost by mercifulness? It spins out the silver thread of life As God has a bottle to put our tears in, so he has a book to write our alms in. As God will put a veil over his people's sins, so he will in free grace set a crown upon their works. The way to lay up is to lay out. Other parts of our estate are left behind, but that which is given to Christ's poor is hoarded up in heaven. That is, a kind, uh, that, that is a blessed kind of giving, which though it makes the purse lighter, it makes the crown heavier. May it be so. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, would we be those who show mercy to one another? May we be those who see and remember and are overcome and undone with the mercy that you have shown to us. When we were just pitiful and helpless, when we were stranded and trapped, when we were Wandering far from you, Father, you came and did a work. You opened our eyes. You rescued us. You gave us new life. You gave us hope and a promise and forgiveness. You have shown mercy to us. Father, by your grace, would we show it to one another. Would we be quick to be an instrument of good when it comes to the misery of our brothers and sisters? Would that apply to life circumstances? Would it apply to tragedies and, and troubles? Would it apply to forgiveness and times when our brothers and sisters hurt us? Would we forgive as we've been forgiven? Father, we ask that uh, we would do this because we know that it would give glory and honor to your name and also very practically because we need it. We need it from one another. I need the mercy of this congregation and they need mine as well. We need it from each other. Produce this in us by your grace, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.